Welcome aboard Comparing Apples to Oranges, the podcast where we take two things in the same category that don't belong in the same genre and using a special set of criteria to decide which one's better. Arthur, you're back. Welcome aboard. Glad to be back. I think this is my third uh third or fourth yeah uh visit to the podcast and uh i gotta say that it feels good man are we going to call our moms today no no in fact i had to make uh before agreeing to um this podcast i had to pre-promise my mom i wouldn't call her okay so trick question you should always call your mom but we probably shouldn't record it that's the trick and yeah you, you fail well, and actually actually there, there there were some separate issues with me recording conversations with my mom that kind of came up so Fair. we've just we've just enacted a blanket ban smart on me, record, on me recording parental interaction only so, only uh, letters and in-person meetings right now <laughs> Long story short, as a 33-year-old, I'm trying to emancipate myself under a unique subset of Illinois law, but it's uh, it's not going well. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's this, the law is there for a reason, and I'm I'm upset that you that you're trying to do this. Somehow, my parents bribed a judge and had me declared a minor till I'm 40, so I'm working on it. It, it yeah, and the thing is, for every Halloween for six years, you dressed up as a miner, you know, a coal miner, and we're like, oh, it's funny, it's funny. And your parents just kept like. Mr. Burns rubbing their hands together. I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it. It's funny now. No, no, that's. Uh, I, I think if my mom had a spirit animal, it'd be Mr. Montgomery Burns. Charles Montgomery Burns. That's terrible. That's an awful thing to say about your wonderful mom. But it is funny. So, <laughs> um, today. Uh, hey, t- wait, hey, wait, just really quick. To be clear, I knew it was Charles, but everyone calls him Monty. Okay? Yeah, or C. As, Montgomery. And, and, yeah. And, 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 and as a child of three names, I honor his choices, okay? But, yeah, all right, fair. I'll, I'll, I'll let that dog lie. I'm not going to fight that. That's fine. No, no hill to die on here, everybody. Arthur knows his Simpsons. I don't think that is something that I should call out. <laughs> and and I die on every hill. <laughs> um, so it has been a little bit since you've been on the podcast, so I think appropriately uh, we've decided to pick a category today. We're going with bands that waited 10 or more years to release a studio album. Um, we have not waited that long to have you back on the podcast, and by we I mean me, uh, because... Unlike these two bands, uh, I enjoy your company, and I think what we do together is fun. And I it think... didn't take me ten years to have something to say. Yeah, that's another thing. Yeah, um, when you hear studio album and ten years between releases, what what's the first thing that comes to mind? Because I did not think of either of these bands off the top of my head uh, about like ten more than ten years. Because we've got uh, 2006 to 2019 difference, and then we've got a uh, 91, no, 99 to 2011. So both of them are actually over 10 years. But when you think 10 year like gap, what are you thinking when you hear about studio albums? You know, I I tend to think there's some behind the scenes drama. Naturally, I tend to think that uh, you know. You know, a band has succumbed to, you know, the the front man broke off. There was some kind of drama. Things fell apart. It just would be so cool to be in a band and have that be my source of income. Yeah. That for me not to do that, I would think something had to happen. So, 
I'm glad you brought up that hypothetical because um, you are a uh, you know how to play instruments. I don't know if you consider yourself a musician. I would say you are because you know how to read music and you've played music before. Also, you were you were in a band, um, yeah. and oh, yeah. that's, uh, true. that's true. I think so. We're we're going to talk about Primus and Tool today, and the reason I want to bring that up right now is because both of them have a bassist that like figures heavily in the band more so than you would consider a bassist's role. Like with the only other band member or a bassist that stands out more than these two guys would be uh, Flea, right? From um, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Because that's the, yeah, like, I, I know I, two I mean, bassists as, by as name a, as in as real life. Purist, I'd probably go to John Entwistle in The Who. Okay. Uh, or or Victor Wooten or, you know, any number of people. But, but you're right. I, I think, you know, one thing, you know, you know, I know we're trying to compare apples and oranges, but but one thing I think that both Tool and Primus have in common is uh, the bass players definitely don't uh, <laughs> don't cool their heels within yeah. the margins of normal bass playing. I, I completely anything, agree. I think both both bands I think have bassists who are subtly trying to take over the role of drums at the same time and play the bass as a percussive instrument. Because and even more so, like Les Claypool, the bassist of uh, Primus, he's the singer. He's the lead singer. Yeah. And he yeah. has a very... Uh, would you, what, what, what word would you say? Would you say it's a very distinct singing style? I don't know how to... Um, I, I'd say it's amelodic. Oh. Alright. Not anti-melodic. Uh, and definitely no, not melodic. Well, we can and, agree on that. And, 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 and all bass playing... I always think it's impressive when a, when a bass player sings because yeah. usually the bass player isn't following the melody. I mean, right. you know, I think it's probably one of the most underrated things that people don't realize about Paul McCartney is Paul McCartney was the Beatles bassist. Okay, so uh, case in point, I did not and, know that. And you know, he would sing. I mean, he would he would play a, um, a bass, you know, a bass line that was kind of diametrically at odds with the melody he was singing mm-hmm. uh and I, i've always found that to be a, a special kind of talent although i'll, I'll say <laughs> less claypool has found I, I wouldn't exactly say less claypool sings the melody i think he's just found a way to do something that's neither in connection with his bass playing and so this is not the first time on this podcast where we've like asked the question do you think the lead singer of this band can sing well because we, uh, I think the argument about the lead singer, Eddie Vedder of uh, Pearl Jam, he's definitely one of the people where you're like, well, do you think his singing's good? You're like, I never considered that because most of the time in, you know, rock music, it's not really why you sign up, you know? You're not looking for a lyricist. Well, not necessarily. You're not looking for a someone with good pipes to lead your 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 rock yeah, band. I, I mean, I I think there's I think there's probably I think that's probably true like 95 percent of the time. You know, every so often I think there's a vocalist that a band just assembles around. I sure. Think it's usually I think it's usually the instruments that's like the uh, the uh, I guess the lightning rod. Sure. Uh, the that galvanizes the band, but occasionally you get a Chris Cornell. Yeah. Uh, I think Robert Plant, a, Led Zeppelin. Robert Plant, although I wouldn't put, I, you know, 
those other guys weren't weren't, weren't sleepers either. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, the other thing, I think, you know, I tend to think of, yeah, uh, I just lost what I was gonna say. Um, but I mean, but even even Chris, let's even even Chris Cornell. I mean, I think Soundgarden, and you know, he was such a vocalist that that, uh, you know. Was oh I was gonna say Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park. Oh yeah, I mean, no, that would be nobody, a great example. Nobody nobody built that band around Mike Shinoda. Um, but he did. Mike Shinoda probably really liked anime, and I think that's you know that's your favorite album, right? Reanimation. Oh, re, well, Reanimation is a, well. Actually, I'd say the, uh, the the LP Collision Course with Jay Z is probably my favorite. Yeah, no, I was I was being facetious. Nobody fucking likes Reanimation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I liked it because. It confirmed that no one should do an album like that ever again. Yeah, <laughs> strong, stronger. Like, why do we need to remix a song that already has techno in it? <laughs> I mean, it was both a trailblazer and a cautionary tale at the same time, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> yeah, a little too much for me to understand that at the time. I'm, de- I definitely owned that album. So. <laughs> oh no, no, I had it because, and, and, and you know, I can, I can prove it because. It wasn't a normal jewel box. It was one of those albums that, like, you fold it out like right. it was like a three-fold paper yeah. uh, with a sleeve in the middle. And uh, I think that's a good segue back into Tool because Tool has some just janky, weird, like, uh, cover art and booklets and visuals. And I don't know if we're going to get it. Eh, we can get into music videos, too, because I think that's another, like, weird uh, similarity both of these bands that on paper seem very very different had in common was uh claymation music videos <laughs> yeah no i i think you know I, I think there was kind of a andy war andy warhol-esque push in the 90s for uh you know this the the the, the creepiness of stop animation and claymation videos whether it's uh that creepy guy who did the first two batman or uh, tim burton yeah, Timothy Burton. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter's Mary uh, Helen, man. Uh, yeah, I usually call him Helena Bonham Carter's husband because I'm woke. But nice. you're right, his name nice. is Tim Burton. Nice. Somebody's got to be woke. Keep us all uh, awake. Woke. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so uh, when I hear studio album ten years, ten year gap, I I think of a like a cash grab so they're like hey you know uh we've we've been touring for a while and people aren't coming to concerts anymore or they're just like i used up all my money i need to generate some more you know that that was my first thing because uh 10 years is so long and some of the reasons we can get into some of the reasons why these specific uh, bands waited 10 years or longer but like most of the time when there is a gap it's because the people in the band are not interested in being in that band anymore so like the uh, you know or, or have a winery exactly but so like Zach De La Roca from Rage Against the Machine he like ended Rage Against the Machine I don't know if you remember this. I don't know if it's necessarily apocryphal or not, but like they didn't win an award at like an MTV uh like award show and so the 
one of the I don't know if it was the drummer or the um, I know it wasn't Tom Morello the drummer or the bassist like got up in like the rafters and was like making a big deal that they didn't win and I don't know if he was joking or serious but like Z- uh, allegedly Zach De La Roca was so mad that he like took the MTV Music Award so seriously that he ended the band <laughs> do you remember hearing this? Mad, mad, mad at the drummer or mad at the at the drummer oh, at the MTV Awards at the drummer that likes because he yeah, was so so I, I did because I did know that because at one time I said that uh, not not in defense of Kanye West but I, you know, <laughs> off to a good start <laughs> I, I, but not, not not in defense of Kanye West but just pointing out the hypocrisy of everyone that was so scandalized when he ran up on stage for Taylor Swift and I said listen you know, no, no, no one said this kind of shit when the drummer from Rage Against the Machine cried, cried their afters and cried like a baby because the MTV Movie Awards, arguably one of the machine, the machines <laughs> being raged against, <laughs> did not, did not give them an award. Right, and so, uh, you know, so when that happened, they, speaking of Chris Cornell, joined. Um, well, Tom Morello did that weird solo thing, The Night Watchman. You remember the that? Night there were two, oh, he, I, I, he put I, two I, I, albums I out. I mean, you know, talk about uh, uh, being agnostic about whether or not somebody can sing. Uh, Tom Morello <laughs> and the Night Watchmen. I saw them live. Where did you see them? He came to Bonnaroo. Oh, well. But, I mean, which, so, you know, which meant, which meant I didn't like seek him out yeah More, he was I there walked by and i said who is that play I'm bomb like, track Tom Morello. yeah so it was and I, th- I think people were asking for acoustic covers of you know why i could just kill a man so. yeah that'd be great um so yeah so you have the opportunity when a band doesn't put out an album usually it's like they don't want to be a band anymore or they have side projects so like chris cornell they did it was everybody it was control alt replace um, with Zach De La Roca for Chris Cornell for Audio Slave, and like they were putting out some stuff that was you know pretty pretty similar, not you know not as angry, but like definitely the sound was there. And then now they're back together. <laughs> Have you heard this? They're touring. No, I, who's back together? Rage Against the Machine. They were back together like a year or two ago. No, I I I I, I had. I don't know if they're putting out new music. I think they're just playing the hits. So, um, that so I assume that that's sort of like a cash grab situation. Wait, oh my god, did, did they come back together because there's going to be another fucking Matrix movie? Um, I would have assumed that there <laughs> that's was. A, that's the that's the that's the best thing ever. Is <laughs> they coming back together because they need some of that sweet sweet Matrix money. They did. But yeah, they you're did. right. They did do Bond all three. They. All three. They did Bomb Track. They did um, Awake. Oh, Something like that. Yeah, Revolution. They did, yeah. They, <laughs> no, that's <laughs> Rage Against the Machine is the. All right. Well, I, I think we've definitely figured out what my fifth installment of Apples to Oranges is going to be. <laughs> it has to be different genres. <laughs> How, music and movies are different genres. No, they're not. They're different media. Anyway. No need to, you know, show people how the sausage is made. Let's get so. Yeah, you're you're about to send me reeling into my previously rejected ideas for this podcast. We're gonna work with tools. Well, sir, 
no one would be well served uh, by <laughs> that discussion. So I can agree on that. I'm just gonna leave it there. Okay. So uh, speaking of different genres, I had to. It turns out some people think that uh, Tool and Primus have similar genres. So I'm gonna read what they decided to put what uh, Tool put on paper as their genre. So they are considered progressive rock, progressive metal, psychedelic rock, and art rock. Um, I don't necessarily think that they would call themselves any of these. What do you, when you hear Tool, what do you think, what genre would you put them in? I mean, I, I, I put, you know, when it's a genre I don't like, but I like the band in question. Right. I just put alt in front of the genre. Okay, that's fair. So I'd call I'd call tool alt metal. Okay. Um. So for Primus, they are alt metal. They are funk metal. They are experimental rock, progressive rock, funk rock, ex- and new metal. New spelled, of course, N U, because when. You know, when you're spelling stuff metal, you can't use the correct letters. Um, I don't necessarily... So, when I listen to Primus and I listen to Tool, I they are both very distinctive. Like, if you played any Tool song, I'd be able to identify it as a Tool song probably within the first, you know, minute. Uh, I'd first, be able to... First 32 minutes. Within the first 32 minutes. Exactly. And then I'd be able to identify a Primus song within the first, like... Uh, 16 seconds. Um, they are of Primus, of course, is famous for doing the uh, South Park opening credits, um, where it's just like bow, 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 bow. You know, like there's so few bands that let their bassist go hog wild, um, both singing and uh, slap at a bass man. Um, so I I would never consider them in the same genre, but they. Are, I mean, like, I heard them both on the same radio station growing up. You know, uh, 105.7 The Point. Shout out to uh, the Shock Jocks that um, still say some pretty insane things, you know. <laughs> not not great. Not great. But would you have considered... Do you consider these two in the same genre? Did I mess up here? Uh-oh. I can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. No, I think they're both different genres. Well, actually, I think the problem with the genres is they're both fairly genre-defying. Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe to be a genre, but it makes it makes the label start to feel silly when you talk about, you know, Primus as new metal or any kind of metal or, you know, they, they, both, they both just strain their genres in different directions. I mean, if anything, what I think unites the two is I think they both have kind of dumb senses of humor in a way that I like. Yeah, that's fair. I, um, yeah, whenever you put, like, progressive in front of something, you're like, oh, well, it's not necessarily what this used to be. And so that's going to cover, like, a whole swath of whatever comes out. It's sort of a, a happy catch-all for people that like putting stuff in boxes. Um, okay, so do you want to get into why there was such a large gap? So we had uh, 
10,000 Days was Tool's fourth album, came out in 2006. I distinctly remember listening to a copy of this CD as I was driving over to your parents' house um, in, like, the summer of 2006. So this, I have a very, like, sense-memory connection to this song, Driving in South County. And, like, then we had to wait 13 years for the fifth studio album, Fear Inoculum. Is that how you say it? That's what I've been saying. I refuse to say it out loud until this podcast. Perfect. But I think Fear Inoculum is probably correct. Perfect. Um, Tool is made up of uh, its most famous uh, character is vocalist Maynard James Keenan. Um, I want your hot take on Maynard. Where's your hot take on him? He's fine. <laughs> yeah, I, he's a good vocalist. Um, he's, you know, <laughs> I, I, I can't. I mean, you know, I. Any idea that like Maynard is an artist who takes himself too seriously, uh, or that is an artist that should be taken seriously, probably went out the window for me when they, you know. Read the German weed cookies as an overlay track. Oh uh, yeah, I think and no eggs. Animus. Yeah, yeah, and no eggs. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I just think I I think Maynard is misunderstood in that I just don't think anyone that does that can be taking themselves seriously, and you know, Tool fans tend to take him seriously and you know really dive into the pentagram shit and the numerology and the platonic shapes or whatever. Yeah, Ge- so, I mean, sacred I, geometry. Yeah, I, I think he's kind of a jackass and he's kind of a dick, uh, but I also don't think he takes himself as seriously as if he if I thought he took himself really seriously, I'd really think he was a jackass and a dick. Fair. So I, I think I think people get that wrong about him. And but the most important question: Have you tried his wine? I have not tried the wine if for no other reason than I tend to avoid uh, foods or wines that are named after the pubis area of France. Fair. I can, I can, <laughs> that's, that's fair. I, I'm not going to argue that. Uh, no hill to die on here, guys. <laughs> well, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so specifically, uh, 10,000 Days, even the title um, was something that the fans went crazy for. And like you said, I, I can't tell if Tool hates their fans or if, like they, like you said, they enjoy punking them. So another example of probably why uh, Rage Against the Machine broke up is because, do you remember there was there was like a live track of I want to say it was when um, Zach De La Roca was reading Allen Ginsberg's "Had to Be Played on a Jukebox." Do you remember this song? I, I know the, I know the song. Okay, so he's he's reciting it, and like the band is playing in the background, and so like there it's it's performed like a like a song, but he just reads it, and he's performing it at like an outdoor venue, and he's so mad at the crowd. He's like, "You're like a bunch of fucking frat boys at summer camp and shit," and they're like, and then you hear wooing because they are a bunch of frat boys at this Rage Against the Machine concert. And he doesn't like that. And, you know, it's one of those things where, like, Tool knows that people are going to... Like, they're also called stoner rock. Like, people are going to, like, 
eat magic mushrooms and then listen to Tool and like think that there's more in it than there is sort of thing. And Tool's like, eh, that's fine. That's money in the bank for me. And so the the album title, 10,000 Days, at some point <laughs> Maynard told people that it was about uh, Saturn's like rotation around the sun, that it takes approximately 10,000 days to rotate around the sun. And he's just like, you know, it's like a 28-year period, and it's like, you know, you just get rid of your hang-ups and stuff. And then I heard something somewhere else where they're like, well, it was about his mom. She had, like, she got diagnosed with a chronic disease, and she passed away, like, 30 years later. And she, like, had this disease for 30 years. And then you listen to the song, and it's, like, him talking about his mom over and over again. And you're like, oh. So he just made the Saturn thing up, and, like, everybody ran with it. Like, that's... The, the Saturn thing's what's on Wikipedia as, like, the explanation for the album title. So it's it's one of those things where he... I don't know if he respects his fans or not, but he's very tired of having to, like, deal with them. Because they are a famously private band as well. You know, and I, I mean, you know, I, I think he probably appreciates the absurd realism of being, surrealism of being famous, and I think it's led to him. I, I wouldn't say he has animosity towards his fans, but I think he really gets off on gaslighting him. Which is fine, because it, you know, it hasn't bit him in the butt. He's still making that green. You know, I remember uh, I watched a, a documentary on the Beastie Boys, and, you know, their their kind of breakout song, at least in terms of what started bringing massive crowds to their concerts, was Fight for Your Right to Party. There you go. Um, which, which, it was kind of you know, a spoof or was told from the personality that, you know, none of the Beastie Boys identified with. And, you know, the, <laughs> I think it was Mike D talked about, you know, being in front at a, at a, you know, being at a, a stadium and like the first 20 rows just seeing like Letterman jackets and like, and like people screaming the lyrics yeah. like he was Andrew WK yeah. and just being like, we're, we were three like bullied Jewish kids yeah. that like got shit on by these people. Like, why the fuck are they at our concerts right. playing our music? Like, and I think that's uh, sort of in a different vein. I would say like uh, both Green Day and Rise Against had like a, a soft song that somehow got on the radio, and I think Finger Eleven did too. Like, they all had like a soft song. And it got played on the radio, and they got, like, all of these fans, and then they come to the concerts, and they're like, why are you yelling so much? Why are you being so rude? Like, like this well, is... Well, well, first off, I, I think you made Finger 11 up, but that's no hill to die on. No. But, I mean, not only was the I'll send you some tracks. played on the radio, Time of Your Life is what closed out the series of Seinfeld. Oh, my God. I thought you were going to say it closed out so many, like, 8th grade uh, year-in-review cassette tapes or VHS tapes because I know it, it closed out mine I, I, think they, I think they played that at the end of Seinfeld That's if if not that is the best lie you have ever come up with that that would be the most clever thing you've ever said if it's true that's I, even better I, I don't think it's friends but I, I'd be willing to bet money that it's friends or Seinfeld but I'm almost positive it's Seinfeld 
I think that, like, and that just goes to show that, like, we didn't bat an eye at that. And, well, maybe you did, and you remember it because you were, like, a fan of Green Day before. Uh, no, I was, sit- I was sitting there, and I turned to my dad and said, that's pretty fucked up they use that song for Seinfeld. And he's like, don't cuss in the house, you're a child. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he probably said, you're 11, you know, I'm trying to go to your room. <laughs> um, that's insane. Uh, I don't think either, not... I, the only thing I think that would have gotten Primus more fans, like people that watch South Park probably love Primus. I don't think there's any any issue there. And I don't... Uh, I think Vicarious was used. So that was one of the singles off of 10,000 Days. I think that was used in like some promotional stuff for a movie or a video game or something. I'd have to look that up. But I think... I, mean, I, I think if it, if it... You know, maybe it's... I'm not sure many people heard uh, the South Park theme song and said, I got to chase down that band. But I do think Primus got a huge bump from John the Fisherman. Yes. John the Fisherman being on the... Uh, the rock uh, band? The first, the, the first guitar hero. Guitar hero. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I played, I played guitar. I, I played John the Fisherman on Guitar Hero. So that's when I listened to Primus, I listened to the Seven Seas of Cheese which I'm like, oh, they're trying to be, you know, like Ween. I thought they, you know, I thought that was their thing is like they had their vocalist, you know, intentionally does a weird voice. Sometimes they sing about weird stuff. Some of their songs have like a narrative bent to it and like their music is definitely like distinct. It's it's not garage band bad, but it's like they they're there to like have an experience and like some of their music videos showed like just these giant crowds where like teenagers were moshing and people were jumping off stage and i just thought they were like a jam band sort of thing um well I, first off i'd like to just really quickly interject that i uh promised my boognish tattoo this morning that i wouldn't be the first person to mention ween on this podcast oh great and i'm gonna uh, bring it up later because think, there's but but now that you've mentioned it, yeah, go I ahead. Talk about it, whatever Please. I want. Now I'm I'm just announcing the right, and I'm just recognizing my restraint up till this point. Please go ahead. Do you think that it's a fair assessment that when you hear of an album called "Sailing Sea the Seas of Cheese," that has Jerry was a race car driver and John the Fisherman? Do you think that they, because that came out in 1991? Do you think that they knew about Ween? Yeah, they definitely they definitely do about Ween. I, I've I've seen I've seen videos of Les Claypool playing with Ween. Yeah. Okay. Because that was yeah I found that somewhere too. But but I I, I will say that um, you know <laughs> I think I, I don't know maybe it's because I've I've you know I'd probably agree with the comparisons of Primus and Ween maybe the first right you know ten years mm-hmm. I was a Ween fan. But probably Absolutely. this 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 back half ten, I see Ween's sense of humor more grounded in, you know, the genres. But there's also there, there's a reverence in Ween that I don't think that I that I don't think uh, there's 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 much of a care for for uh, less for um, Primus. And, and by that I mean, you know, I don't think there's no reverence to the subject matter on any of their songs. But uh, you know, I think Ween goes out of its way to kind of cannibalize styles and I don't think they cannibalize something they don't have at least some kind of respect for whether it's their country album or you know 
baby bitch clearly taking notes from Elliot Smith or White Pepper taking notes from the White Album and Sgt. Pepper. I mean, I think there's, I mean, Ween has a, a nine-minute Dean Ween uh, tribute uh, instrumental track called Tear for Eddie that's a reference to the deceased guitarist from the Parliamentary Funkadelics. And, you know, I don't think a track like that makes it out on a Primus album. I would, I, I'm 100% in agreement with you, and I that's why I want to change the word cannibalize in my mind, because, like, I think it's more like when Quentin Tarantino, like, steals, like, tropes and shots and costumes and lines and sometimes characters from other movies, he's not doing it because, like, he's out of ideas. He's doing it because he saw something and it was so good that he knows he can't replicate it, so he's just going to steal it. And I think well, Ween does I, that. I, I think I, Yeah, I, I think that's right. I, I think the way Tarantino borrows isn't rooted from what he wants to achieve as a director, but really it comes from how much he is a fan of cinema. Yeah, and, uh, I, and you and see I, that I think, in Ween. I think, I, I think Quentin Tarantino is one of the biggest like cinema nerds out there. And I, I think with Ween, too, uh, I, I think Ween... You know they're so devoted to Prince and so devoted to, you know, a, a lot of their source materials that you know when, when they borrow, it's because, you know, it's it's a little bit of it's a little bit to it's a little bit because, you know, <laughs> what is it like, <laughs> just shitting on someone's the fe the best form of flattery? I know that's not the phrase, but <laughs> no <laughs> imitation, yeah, yeah. maybe. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's right. And uh, I definitely don't see that in, like, I think that's why Ween, like, stood up for so long, is because they didn't keep doing the same thing. Because it's just, it was two guys who were the creative minds behind it. And, uh, you know, Tool has four, and Primus had three. And so, like, the reason there was no big gap for Ween is because they just kept doing different stuff and new stuff, and they weren't they didn't have a brand besides, like, you know, kind of being out there. And I think that no matter how much you want to, like, say, like, you're not beholden to your your fans, you're going to do whatever you want, like, both of these bands kind of did the same thing, like, even though there was a huge gap. Like, because when I listen to Sailing the Seas of Cheese versus the album we were supposed to listen to, Antipop, like I thought, that was a huge difference, and that was that's an. Wait, eight... we, we were we were we weren't supposed to listen to Antipop, were we? I listened to it for context because I had never listened to Primus before. Oh, okay, but the, okay, yeah, but that, that's not the ten year later album. Yeah, Correct. We're good. And that and that was the thing is like that the re, the time between those releases was much shorter than the like twelve year gap for Antipop and Green Naugahyde. I think that's how I say it. Um, yeah, but, uh, but, but both albums that are the subject of our review, I, I don't have a lot of uh, phonemic comfort with. Fair. I'm fine with that. I don't, maybe we're not supposed to. But, like, the difference between those two, like, it sounded like a different band. Like, they had, not necessarily that they had grown up, just that they had, they're trying something so very different. And then when I listen to, like, the 10-year the gap, I'm like, oh, they're just, you know, they have different material. And I think that's... You know, I I want something when you go to when you listen to a band that 
when you're looking forward to a band you like and they're putting out something new I know for for me with ACDC when it, when I heard that they were going to do Black Ice and it was going to be only released at Walmart I'm like I don't want that because it's something I like and I know it's not going to be something that's good and as a fan I felt entitled to get something I wanted and uh, you know it just goes to prove I was dumb because that that album was pretty good it's you know it's not their best but I liked it and um you know sometimes you have to trust the band I don't know I don't know where I fall on this because 10 years is a long time for no studio album well and and maybe it's time to kind of talk more concretely about you know the we we broached this once but the, the reasons for the delay and you know I think you know, from the research I did, uh, if you look at the reasons for the Primus delay, or the Primus delay, it just sounds like they were busy. Yeah, and they didn't uh, like each other. other pro- I mean, yeah, but it's it's. I mean, Les Claypool had the Frog Brigade. Les Claypool had all these other pet projects. And I think I, I also think Primus was kind of a pet project for them in some ways. Oh, that's um, an interesting take. Whereas, whereas I, I don't think Tool was anyone's side hustle and Um, they did each have their own thing for a little bit uh specifically um a perfect circle because that put out like i think three or four albums and then uh, another another tricky one to say pusifer or pusifer it's p-u-s and then but it's supposed to be said like lucifer and i don't know what's the name of the what's the what's the name of the wine I, I thought Pucifer was the wine. No, it was named after genitalia. No, as uh, the as the wine named after genitalia. No, I think it's called like Caduceus, like the the. Um, hang on, I'll find it. Uh, well, well, Caduceus just sounds like a name for genitalia, as said by Tenacious D. So I'm not. That's I'm not backing off that claim. Uh, well, no, Caduceus is like the the staff with a snake on it. Yeah, Caduceus Cellars. Um, it's two. It's the symbol that's used on uh that you see. Oh no! Sure enough, it is named after a, a pubic wig, a merkin. That's the merkin vineyards. Okay, so the wine is. Huh? No, you're right. He's just yeah. He just loves that stuff. He thinks it's funny. Oh, they do have tastings that are open to the public. So next time we're in... No, 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 no hills to die on. Isn't it Scottsdale? Uh, Jerome, Arizona, so I'm sure that's right outside it. So uh, I had a, a, a law firm retreat at uh, Scottsdale, Arizona uh, three years ago, and there were uh, there was you could propose like firm kind of field trips or events, and I could not get anyone to bite on the uh, going to uh, <laughs> the Tool Winery is how I had to pitch it. Yeah, you don't want to... You're like, where are we going? We're going to Merkin Vineyards? <laughs> I looked it up. That means it's a pubic wig. You're like, ah, oh, shucks. I guess we're not going. <laughs> yeah. The number the number of things I haven't been able to expense because they've involved a pubic wig is, you know, becoming depressing. I understand. I mean, that's probably why you should join a band again. But, uh, so, I yeah, Tool had a weird reason that they weren't like there was a some legal issues with like a scooter accident is this right yeah there there was some kind of there was like lawsuits and stuff but i mean if, if you take uh maynard as a word 
the biggest reason for the delay was just his him being self-conscious and completely unsure about what he was doing. Okay, so this is the 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 quote I have about that. Keenan summed up the album's progress at the time in a cooking analogy, explaining that basically right now it's a lot of ideas. There's no actual songs. It's still kind of noodles in a big basket. Lots of noodles, just no dishes. I'm like, okay, that's that's weird. And then they had complicated legal issues and court battles stemming from a 2007 lawsuit, which was slowing progress as well. Uh, an insurance company sued the band over technicalities, leading to the band then countersuing the insurance company. And then it said constant court battles and delays coupled with other life obligations limited the band's time for working on music and drained them of their motivation. So, yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a hefty 10-year lawsuit. Yeah, man. It There was also two separate scooter accidents, so I don't know what that means, but... Man, scoot me once, shame on me. Shame on you. Scoot me twice, shame on me. Fair. Oh, yeah. Of course. <laughs> I'm I'm sort of a zero scoot guy, but I understand the first scoot might be mandatory. There's there's a there's a there's one of those scooters now that they've populated around downtown St. Louis, and uh, my wife and I um, I'm not going to comment on whether it's before or after a couple drinks have uh, you know pirated one of those and done our little old, old scooter gang. Did you die? Yeah, I died. Yeah, because you you're not accident prone, but things do happen to you, and they're not oh great my things. Probably accident. Well, I, I didn't want to. Like, I don't want to call you out. I'm not saying clumsier that it's always my fault, but Fair. in terms of like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, without without assigning like fault, I am wildly accident prone. <laughs> and I think with that, uh, this is a perfect time to take a break. Uh, hopefully you are wearing a helmet and some knee pads, uh, Arthur over there. I don't want you to get hurt in the break time. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute with the four criteria we're going to use to decide which of these uh, more than 10-year studio album gap albums is better. Back into it. Welcome back. We are going to discuss four criteria we designed to discern which one of these uh, bands that waited 10 or more years to release a studio album is better. So uh, whenever we do music, we talk about re-listenability. So which album that took uh, 10 plus years to make is worth re-listening to? Do you want to start with this or you want to go through all the criteria? Yeah, we, we can start. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to visit any of them soon, but I'm going to listen to Green Naugahyde way before I let... In terms of like pressing play in the beginning and listening to all of it, definitely Green Naugahyde before uh, the Tool album. There are songs on the Tool album that I liked better than any of the songs on the Green Naugahyde, but in terms of, uh, in terms of, well, I don't know. I mean, in terms of re-listenability, I think it's Green Naugahyde. In terms of favorite songs, it's Tool. But in terms of what album will I most likely press play on again, it might be the Tool album just because you know, I'm I'm increasingly into like ambient music and music at the end of the day and dry, while driving or while you know doing work or something. So I think that's kind of different than re-listenability. But so so that's why I go Green Algehide. Okay, so I'm uh, going to go with Tool for re-listenability, Fear Inoculum, because uh, I listen to a lot of Lateralist. They're 
third album, I listened to that, like, a lot. And it took me a while to get into some of the songs. Uh, but the more I listened to it, the more I liked it. And so I did the same thing with 10,000 Days, where I listened to it the first time. I'm like, oh, I really only like, you know, like, one of the songs. And then I kept listening to it, and I liked it better. Um, so I think that's what's going to happen with this one, because when it came out, I wasn't, like, blown away. But as I've, if I give it some more time, I'm sure I'll appreciate some of it a little bit more. And, and disclosure to the audience of uh, comparing apples to oranges, uh, I would say going into this podcast that I am probably the bigger Primus fan of myself and Michael, uh-huh. and I, Michael is certainly the bigger Tool fan between yeah, us. Huge, although huge I've Tool seen, fan. I've seen, although I've seen Tool live, and I'm not sure you have. I have not, uh, and was. Was it at the Tool show that you saw the guy that, that like the three hundred pound naked guy who was tripping, and they had to like catch him with a tarp? Yeah, it was. It was uh, one of the more surreal Bonner experiences I've had. Is when Tool headlined. Uh, yeah, we were we're this merry band of people in the middle of this crowd, and my little brother was with me, which had me especially on edge. And as Tool was playing, it was a great show. But one. Tool, Tool at Bonnaroo injected a certain yeah. uh, gothic element to Bonnaroo, which yes. really didn't vibe with. Uh, I felt like there were a lot of pants chains and right. black denim shirts that got very hot yeah. in the middle of Tennessee in, <laughs> in, in June, first of all. Uh, <laughs> Tool fans aren't really outside people, no. I'd say. No, that's kind of their game. But but the, the, sec- the second thing was, uh, you know, just like there was a whole like 15 percent of people at bonner that just didn't give a shit about any band but tool right only there for tool yeah um so it was kind of a strange experience but in the concert itself uh we had our our little group um and we saw like the crowd parting in front of us and uh it ended up being this giant bald sweaty naked dude was just had a bad trip and i don't know if he was naked when he was at the front of the crowd or what but he was naked by the time he was barreling towards the back of the crowd and he was coming straight for us and and a show of uh and a hybrid showing of cowardice and bravery (laughs) i grabbed a guy next to me and put me and my brother behind him and my my arm into his shoulder and used him to hit the guy and deflect the guy there you go away from me and the dude like the dude his name was garrett if you're listening man i'm really sorry uh but i remember like pulling him up off the ground afterward and he was just covered in sweat uh. no clue what had happened to him but yeah um bonnaroo staff i think it was kind of like in lost world jurassic park when they caught all the dinosaurs to transport them to New York. Like, I think, like, two Bonnaroo staff on dirt bikes with a tarp, like, circled the guy and, like, put the tarp under his leg so he fell back on it and then wrapped him up in the tarp and then, you know, carried him off to... Just gave him some orange slices until he calmed down. Trapped him in amber or something. I don't know what they did to him. But but the next day, I was uh, in line at the porta-potties in the campsite uh, drinking a Bloody Mary and uh, to be clear, I was going to finish the Bloody Mary before I went into the Johnny on the spot. Um, no judgment here. And, uh, this guy was in front of me, and we were talking about it. And he's like, oh, man, that dude was crazy. And he rolled up his sleeve, and he had a giant 
severe about to be infected human bite mark in his arm. He's like, yeah, that dude when his trip went bad, I was next to him and he bit my arm. Ah. Like, dude looked like he was like within 24 hours of his arm like falling the fuck off. So, that's you know. terrifying. Um, so that that's my tool story. Cut out as much of that story as you. No, want. I got to leave it all in. I think there were more details this time than I remember, which is scary. That I remember the bite. And I remember the tarp. I don't remember you <laughs> sacrificing a, a man. I think, I, I think you know, when the story first came out, Gareth was more in our social circle sure. than he is in mine. Sure. So I probably, I probably didn't want to out myself <laughs> as yeah. having human shielded him to save my brother. There you go. Uh, we got to take care of baby Brendan. But it's I, important. I think, uh, I think I, I'm less at risk for social retaliation. Uh, at this point in my life than Smart. I was back in the the early 2000s. And speaking of uh, the early 2000s, which one of these albums do you think did a better job of recapturing the magic? So both of these were like rabid fan base, um, clearly like pulling in the dough, uh, radio play, huge concerts. I mean, like headlining for Bonnaroo is a big deal. And um, definitely, like, Primus is, like, I think that, I, I know you, it's kind of facetious to say that, like, getting a gig on, you know, Guitar Hero is a big deal, but, like, no, it's definitely a big deal. Like, <laughs> that, uh, so do when, you... When you don't have big studio resources to market, and you're already, like, approaching on an age of downloading music, I right. think being in the video game is a big deal. I mean, think of all the all the artists that, like, you know, I mean that that would that seemed to be the primary function of Tony Hawk's Pro Skaters two through yeah. eight yeah. was just to showcase like ska and, and music like, he liked. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. So, which one do you think did a better job of that with their album that took ten plus years to put out? Yeah, so I I, I think in terms of re- I, I tend to agree with something you said earlier that I mean you know it's it's maybe the most <laughs> the least flattering way of saying recapturing the magic, but in some ways, I kind of thought the Primus album could have been, you know, really, really good B-sides from the previous album 10 years earlier. Right. So, I mean, I think it was definitely a Primus album in every sense of the word. Now, that being said, I can tell you that in terms of recapturing the magic, you know, I you know, maybe need to give it some more listens, but I can tell you, most of the diehard Tool fans that inhabit my friend and family circles, you know, are pretty, we're pretty damn pleased uh, with this Tool album. Oh, okay. So I don't think it's a sleeper on that front, but I, I, I think, you know, I, I, I could have seen, I think it's the case that I could imagine much more easily this Primus album having been, you know, released a year after instead of 11 years after than this Tool album. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you, um, specifically because, like, when I listened to Tool's 2019 album, people were saying that they, like, went back to their roots, and I didn't see that as much. Like, I saw them, like you said, they got more, like, ambient, almost, which is, you know, that uh, you would never say that any of these songs are, like, elevator music. But, like, you know, there's sort of, like, meandering and, you know, because well, it's 11 I, I, minutes. 
I, I think, th I mean, this two album more than any other two album, you know, I think Maynard kind of takes a back seat, and yeah. I, th I think this is the most, this is the most, the most band centric or the most band focused tool album or the most instrument focused tool album that they've ever put out, and you know, and 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 I don't, I don't mean elevator or ambient derivatively. Yeah. I mean, oh, of course, my favorite stuff is Cigarose, and that's yeah. I mean, even their even that that's that's their that's that's their that's their trade right um but but i i think you know i think there were shifts in the way this was this album was approached and conceived of from tools perspective and i don't i don't really see that shift in uh the primus album i think they just thought of different bits and different jokes and just had less playful come in and 23s could do it uh, I, but actually, but actually, I think that's actually a pretty good segue and and collapses into uh, our third category, which is, you know, which album you know did a better job of charting a new path. Yeah. And and I think for the exactly the same reasons we just discussed, I think Tool did a much better job of charting a new path because I do see this album as reflecting maybe not ten years, but at least a couple years of growth and meditation and you know what kind of album we want to do and. What what do we want to focus? And I, I think it's I think it's different in that way. Um, so I, I give I give that the, the props in this category to Tool. Uh, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I'm I'm voting Tool on this one too because like we one of the things you don't see as much as like or here rather is Maynard doing his like sort of like angry shouting. Now we made the joke about like the the German uh, diabetic or sugar-free cookie recipe and uh not that kind of shouting because like if you think back to like well uh vicarious and uh the pot and uh ticks and leeches like the from um 10,000 days and ladderless there's some albums or, or songs on the albums where he just belts it out like he he literally screams for like 25 seconds and uh you know that's kind of what got so many of those um you know basement boys and girls out of the basement to go see them is like they're like i love this stuff i love the it's not quite screamo it's it's nowhere near like you know your black flag or your uh um what's that one guy's name what's what's the what's the name for insane clown posse fans jug juggalos yeah i i i think that tools version of juggalo should absolutely be basement boys yeah and basement girls um because you know ladies love tool i'm sure but that's the thing is like about, about, about as much as ween oh yeah that would be it that would be a dynamic bill right there tool and ween you're like i don't know how long each set's gonna be but it's not gonna be long enough um yeah. we shall call them tweens ugh, gross or, or wool um but anyway i think that yeah, I'm going with Tool here because like they they're sort of choosing to be a little yeah. Dummy. <laughs> I think it's good. I don't think it's bad. Um but they they sort of they I think my my wife just commented without being asked to comment uh, that my tweet comment made me sound like a predator. Yeah. So maybe got to be maybe cut that maybe you can cut that out. No, I'm I'm going to start the episode with that. It's just going to be you out of context <laughs> saying tweens. Yeah, and that says wool. <laughs> it's much better if anyone ever needed to collapse the fan bases of Ween and Joel. 
Which, you know, I think that's the whole thing is, like, I think they're trying to expand. Because there's probably a bunch of people who never listened to any of their old stuff. And they're like, oh, this is a 13-minute song? That's kind of interesting. I'll get into that, you know. That's my take. Okay, and last of all, we have timing. Which one do you think did a better job of releasing their album in an appropriate way? I, I think I think the gap for both of them was wildly inappropriate. I, yeah, hundred <laughs> so percent. I think agree. this is I think this is a dead heat for last. Uh, I think I'm gonna go with Tool just because like there was any progress at all. Well, yeah, because it's not the same songs. Like each one's a little different. Where like there's definitely a theme, which you know they make a big point of, and that's fine. But like Moron TV and the Eye of the Squirrel, that's the same song. Like, what was your favorite? Tra- what was your favorite track on uh, the Primus album? I liked, I liked Lee Van Cleef. Okay. What about you? I like the Last Salmon Man. You know what? No, that you're right. That one was better. Um. Uh. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to wait 10 years, you better come out with, like, a country album or something. Hashtag ween. Uh, also know, famously pissed like... off their fan base. Yeah, but I think they got a country Grammy. I'm not sure if that's, like, worse than a normal Grammy, but or if it's true. But I think it's just a regular Grammy, but instead of a gramophone, it's a cowboy hat. I mean, I, I, I think they, they pissed off their fan base, but I, I think time has been on ween's side for that because... You know, I, I'm on two. I'm I, I'm I'm only belong to two Facebook communities, and the first one is like I don't even belong to like my kids' schools on Facebook. Community. Oh no! Don't but tell I, people I, that. I, but I, but I, I belong to. Uh, uh, I get the emails. Uh, okay, thank I belong you. to one called Boognish, which mm-hmm. is a ween group, and then I belong to one called Mutilated Prince, which is just a a, a group that shares ween concert prints. Um, and if people are doing the Spotify rap screenshots, yep, yep. Uh, I can I can tell you when people the people who put like you know the true diehard Ween you know top one percent point one percent of Ween they also share their most listened to songs and I gotta say uh, you know a more, a much more than an in, I would be there's definitely more off of twelve Golden Country hits than there mm-hmm. are off of the Mollusk. Which would be sacrilege to anyone if you said that uh, 15 years ago. Okay, so I was so I'm a fan of Ween, but nowhere near uh, the intensity that Arthur is a fan of them. Like you, you're I would say you're a curator of the canon, and I was worried you were going to say they listened more to the Mollusk than um, Godwin Satan, because uh, like when I go to listen to ween i'm listening to their uh i would i would call it more approachable music uh i would call those their hits you know uh with anything off of la cucaracha and uh the mollusk is like you know music that people would listen to and be like oh this is good i like this who is this and you're like this is ween you know um but you know get ready for a song about the spine yeah they're like wait is this man is it a child that has spinal meningitis in this song? You're like, yeah, just keep listening. You're like, it's it's six minutes long. 
what what do you mean he's praying to Jesus? You're like, no, no. You're, you're, you haven't even gotten to the good part yet. Just keep in there. This There's going to be four songs about a weasel. Or no, that, yeah, yeah. there's three songs about a stallion. Sorry. Yeah, there's, there's more than one song about a weasel, but yeah. And I think that that's... So I was, I was worried I was going to get called out as a... Um, not novice... Uh, maybe like a journeyman of a, a, of a ween luddite. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. That's that's pretty harsh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's the, my issue with uh, Primus is that like they they didn't grow enough. Like it sort of seemed like they didn't need to put out a new album because it was sort of rehashing the old stuff. But you, then even within that album, they like. Ha- didn't curate enough like there was still like they they should have waited longer i almost felt like if that this is what they thought done looked like and i was also just like kind of confused with so they they mentioned the song jilly's on smack and they're like we just wouldn't have written that in the early 90s because we hadn't lost a friend to heroin addiction i'm like that was a tribute song that was baloney (laughs) It was bad. Like, it was... I thought it was a joke, you know? They're like, no, our friend died because she had, you know, she was addicted to narcotics. And I'm like, well, that's dumb. Like, you should have done a better song. But... Yeah, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure uh, Tool or uh, Primus is who you get to uh, play the songs as the Titanic sinks and uh, under any set of facts. Or when Seinfeld ends again. When comedians and yeah. cars getting coffee ends, we're not going to hear a Primus song. <laughs> well, wait, wait, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. When South Park ends, we might. Oh, there you go. They're going to be like, hey, we're going to play more on TV. You're like, oh, it's, it's, I get it, because it's a joke about... They really don't like the Octomom. Did you hear that? They, like, brought her up, like, multiple times how much they hate the Octomom. Is that a mom that's an octopus or a mother of eight children? You don't remember the Octomom? No. Okay. Yeah. She, she was, uh, it's really not worth mentioning. She was just a nut job. She was like, uh, anyway. But not, but, but not an octopus. Uh, I'm going to leave that up to you. Um, she <laughs> I got some Googling to do. This, this, this is what you get with me. You, you, I can speak with relative certitude about the song that was played during the last five minutes of time. But uh, apparently there's some pop culture phenomenon about a woman who looks like an octopus, is an octopus and a mother, or is a mother of eight children. Yeah, that's that's it, man. You, you nailed it. <laughs> Actually, I'm not going to look it up. This is kind of like uh, Pan, this is not Pandora's box. Schrodinger's. Right now, right now, you don't think she's going to exist? Oh, okay, that makes more sense. Now, my wife just called out that she's going to tell me about it when I get off this uh, this podcast. So, all right. Sorry, Schrodinger. Uh, this is not going to be Schrodinger's Octomom. We're going to kill your cat, or your octopus cat. Um, so, this is, so you're going to abstain? You're going to say neither of them did good with time? No, no, no I, 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 I said it was, it was a... A, a race for last, not a, not a dead heat. I'd say I'd say uh, um, if the category is um, what's the category? Which one did a better job timing it out? Oh yeah, it's tool. I agree with you. I agree with you. I just I think I agree with you. I, I think it's a much narrow margin, and uh, I you know lodge my vote under protest. 
Perfect. That's the only way. I, you know, this is compulsory. If you didn't vote, I would charge you fifty dollars. Um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be ten years till I was asked back on the podcast. Yeah, ten plus years. Uh, but you know, we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about, you know, the f- you're you you've been doing Buckethead, and uh, some of the names of his bands blew me away. Colonel Claypool's Bucket of Bernie Brains, Electric Apricot, and then you mentioned the flying, the fear, Les Claypool, Colonel Les Claypool's, I think that's a little stolen valor there, I don't think he's an actual colonel, Colonel Les Claypool's Fearless Flying Frog Brigade, just like intentionally dumb. Yeah, so I've seen seen the, the Frog Brigade, and I've seen Oysterhead. So does does Les Claypool do stuff with Trey Anastasio, or did I make that up? That's Oysterhead. Okay. Well, oh, that was easy. Okay, solve that mystery. So, o- o- Oysterhead is Les Claypool, Trey Anastasio, and Stu Copeland, the the drummer from the Police. Oh wow! So uh, actually, the drummer from Primus is in A Perfect Circle and Pussifer. So there's another weird connection with Primus and Tool. Oh, wow. There's some unusual overlap. Um, okay, so with our uh, very litigious scoring, uh, Tool is our winner of which band that waited 10 or more years to release a studio album. Uh, they pulled it off right at the end there. Uh, doesn't really sound like you're a huge fan of this uh, 2019 Fear Inoculum, though. So would you recommend people listening to it? Uh, I, I I would recommend if you're a fan of Tool I, I think you know there's two the one you know I think my family members who are bigger Tool fans than me recommend it and I know in myself that uh, you know it, it's always taken me longer to warm up to a Tool album than uh, I think the average bear so I really for this podcast listened to Fear Inoculum once and I think if you asked me to rate, uh, you know, um, lateralis or animus or ten thousand days off of one listen, I'd probably be similarly jaundiced. But I really like those albums now, so yeah. I I, do, I would not ward anyone off. Tools new venture based on this reviewer's current posture. Okay, great. Um, we'll be back in a second with some authentic reviews or not reviews, authentic recommendations for. Uh, something that's going to fit this. We're, we're going to have to change it because I looked up a bunch of the bands that did it and I wasn't blown away. So I, I've got a little something for when we come back. Okay, so we're back and because I couldn't find a lot of good candidates for uh, a band that waited 10 or more years to release a studio album, um, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to recommend bands that we would want to put a studio album out that haven't put one out for more than 10 years. Now, now, Mike, can I, can I jump in just because I spent a lot of time figuring out my answer to that first question? So sure, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, after going through uh, a, not, a not insubstantial amount of artists that waited more than 10 years to release an album... I'm going to recommend The Avalanches. Oh! Since I la- left you 
yeah. in November of 2000, but then released their sophomore album, Wildflower, in July of 2016, more than 15 years later. Whoa. And I'm a big fan of Since I Left You, yeah. and I'm a big fan of Wildflower. I Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Frontier Psychiatry. I didn't even know they did more stuff. That's awesome. Um, my, So do you have a follow-up recommendation for the thing that I just threw at you? Yeah, I mean, just out of – I mean, off the top of my head, I think it's got to be Nukes and Milk Hotel. That was mine. That's awesome. Um, do you think that he is in a good headspace to – like, because – he had a couple side projects for a little bit, right? Did yeah, he... I mean, he, but it, like his last side project was like he was going into like, you know, Czechoslovakia and like villages and recording their folk music. So I mean, a pr- pretty off, pretty off the beaten path. I mean, it went from kind of like a side project to switching careers to be an anthropologist. Um, I mean, but honestly, you know, Neutral Milk Hotel, it's a it's a bit selfish and a bit selfless. It's a bit selfish because I'd love another album like In the Airplane Over the Sea, but it's a bit selfless in that I'd really like to see Jeff Mangum get his life back together. Yeah, that poor like, guy. Put, him, put himself in the kind of headspace where he could do something creatively again that didn't just seem so batshit crazy. He's another guy that like when you hear his voice, you're like, I don't know if he's singing, but this is good and I enjoy it a lot. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think he falls into the Chris Cornell category of that band was built around his vocal abilities. Yeah, just a creative mind, nothing else. Although, like, <laughs> if you want to get, like, he was trying to, you know, elicit certain feelings with his song, and he certainly did it. But he's kind of a creep, you know. When kind when you're true. when kind you're singing about a two-headed boy, you probably don't want, you know, some guy with good pipes you want kind of a creep and that's what we got i think two-headed boy is probably the most charitable example you could have picked from an example of a creepy <laughs> neutral milk hotel lyric so fair I, I i commend you on that well i'm glad we both agreed uh that was that was a fun uh synergy yeah that, that, that's a first have you ever agreed with anybody without uh coordinating it at a time on any of your other podcasts uh most likely not and if i did then it it wasn't as exciting as this it would just be like oh well of course like movies that a recommendation of a movie made out of a game uh would have to be clue because it's like the only one everybody knows so <laughs> Makes, uh, i don't know i uh i have uh I think I have Lord of the Rings Risk. Uh, no, no, the other way around. Uh, what about Battleship? So that would be one of the ones we would have to watch because there's only uh, three. There's only three. <laughs> that if you if you that. if you I don't mean, count video games. Could you, okay, I was gonna say, can you do the World of Warcraft video game? Yeah, that's the that's. Or, or is it is it wait is Jake Gyllenhaal or Michael F. Aspender the Assassin's Creed guy? And, Jake, and Jake Gyllenhaal's and Prince and of Persia. Gyllenhaal's Prince of Persia. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. God, so so racist. <laughs> they're, they're like, well, what? Well, can't find any Persians. Persia doesn't exist anymore. You're like, I it's Iran. I don't know, man. I was scrolling through HBO last night, and I saw The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise, and I was like, damn, <laughs> it's probably good that didn't come out now. But he's not supposed to be Japanese in it. He's. I uh, I still think any any connotation that the last legitimate samurai with Tom Cruise is That's something fair. people are going to have a problem with. And I think, like, so I am a defender of that movie, uh, not not its uh, promotion, because 
he is not the last samurai and that's the whole point of the movie but they dances with wolves that and sort of you know it's not it's not pretty i do like the movie though um so yeah go listen to some old neutral milk hotel check out the avalanches and watch uh last samurai that's that's what i'm coming down on uh i'm two for three don't watch last samurai Ah, dang what about the mexican with brad pitt well yeah but these yeah okay all right all right Um, haven't seen it couldn't tell you uh, it's got a it's a, it features prominently an El Camino car which I like so okay there you go um, so this has been comparing apples to oranges uh, we had a great time today I certainly did Arthur thank you for coming along thank you for having me and we'll catch you next month bye later days. at Jittery Joe's. That's a pretty good one back in the day. This was episode 57 of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as Arthur and I enjoyed making it. Go ahead and check out that blogger site. Remember, it's thecatopodcast.blogspot.com. Got some goodies in the show notes today, including some disconcerting music videos made from climation. Any comments or ideas for future episodes of the podcast, send it to on Twitter. It's at the Cato Podcast. That's C A T O Podcast. All one word. And then email us at CatoPodcast at gmail.com. The intro, outro, and music bed music was the song Thumbs Up by the artist Leisure B. Great guy. If you liked him and any of the stuff he's putting out, go ahead and check him out at humanworkshop.com. Catch you next month. Bye.